The following is a presentation of Genesis. Genesis is a place where you are invited to begin, belong, and believe. To find out more, visit us on the web at genesisthejourney.com. Hey, welcome uh, to Genesis. Uh, my name is Michael. I'm uh, glad you guys are here. Um, DNA, this is a series we've been in over the past, um, I think, five, six weeks. Uh, we spent uh, a good part of time taking a look at uh, who am I, meaning who am I as an individual uh, as an image bearer of God, and how do I live my life uh, in light of the truth, the fact that I've been made in the image of God. And then last week, we took a, a, a turn and said, we're going to take a look now at who are we, uh, who are we as a community. And uh, last week, we took a look at just uh, a message called Tribal, and really put something out there before you of what would it look like to say, you know what, this community is not going to be about us, it's going to be about the other and taking the command seriously when Jesus said, was answering a question of, to a guy who said, if I'm going to follow something here uh, in this Old Testament, all of these rules and laws and regulations, which one is most important? Jesus said, love God, heart, mind, soul, and strength. And then he said, love your neighbor uh, as yourself. And so last week we really said, let this be a community that is going to take seriously the command to love God with all of who we are, and then to actually love our neighbor. Uh, I love how it says, you know, the command is not to love yourself because we're going to do a pretty good job with that one. It says to love your neighbor, not tolerate, not deal with, not ignore. It says love your neighbor. And as I was thinking about that this week, it's not just like a, a warm, fuzzy feeling that we're going to have towards our neighbor. Uh, love is a very practical expression. Um, it's not; ju- it's certainly an emotion, but it's it also involves a very practical reality and. Uh, if you've been to a wedding, you've probably heard this verse, but uh, this is uh, 1 Corinthians 13, and this is what it is talking about to love your neighbor, love your neighbor in this way, because I love how it starts in verse 13, chapter 1, it says, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. Like, if you just beat a, a gong or a cymbals together and there was no band around it, it would be a really annoying noise. Those instruments by themselves do not really make pretty music. And if we as a community are not doing things uh, in a manner, in a spirit of love, we're just making a lot of noise. It goes on in in verse 4, it says, Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It's not proud. It's not rude. It's not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. So this command to love your neighbor, these are some practical ways that we love our neighbor. It's not just have warm, fuzzy feelings, it's but to live out these adjectives, these descriptors of what it means to love. I remember when someone uh, challenged me with this 1 Corinthians um, Uh, 13 passage, and they said, Michael, you want to see how you're doing it loving and loving your neighbor, just go ahead and slide your name in before each of those. So, Michael is patient. Michael is kind. Michael does not envy. Michael does not boast. Michael's not proud. Michael's not rude. Michael's not self-seeking. He's not easily angered. Michael keeps no record of wrong. Uh, Michael rejoices with the truth. He protects. He trusts, hopes, perseveres. And I was like, wow, I didn't actually get beyond the first two or three. I was like, well, you know, I need to do probably a better job of loving in practical ways. And that's what we're talking about being as a community is loving our neighbor, being patient and kind, not keeping track or record of people's wrongs against us, but being a, a community that would ultimately be forgiving. That's what we uh, uh, got into last week. And tonight, uh, actually over the next two weeks, we're going to be... Um, talking about um, mission and uh, what is ultimately, what does it mean to be part of a community that is on mission together, where the mission is not the community. Uh, The mission uh, is getting a community of people to be on mission together. And so tonight, this is uh, where we're headed. I'm excited Kyla's going to be sitting and sharing some things with her experiences uh, from living and being on a mission field uh, overseas. Uh, for a couple years, actually, in Albania. Uh, But this is my heart tonight, is that we as a community would actually get it. 
And we'd start to not only get it, but we would start to live out that we are sent ones. We are missionaries. So let me uh, pray for us, and then uh, we're going to jump in and take a look at uh, a prayer that Jesus prayed specifically for you, uh, for me, for this community. Father God, thank you for the gospel. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for uh, the reality that we can have hope, we can have peace, we have forgiveness of sins, and uh, we can be made right and have right relationship with you both now and forever because of Jesus Christ, your Son. Father, my prayer tonight is that you would make us missional, that we would see where we live, where we spend our time, is that we are missionaries, not just with part of our life or some of our life, but that with all of who we are, we would see ourselves as people on mission. And Father, my prayer is that we as a community would see ourselves as a sent community to a world, to a culture, to people around us that uh, are desperate to know uh, who you are, that you are good and kind and caring and loving, just and righteous and faithful. You're a God who desires to be in relationship with your creation, and we give you thanks for that. So, Father, tonight, uh, open our hearts to uh, take and receive what your word would have to say to us. Uh, But, Father, please make us missional. Make us a missional people. Make this a missional uh, community. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. If you were to um, describe Jesus, what words would you use? Missional. Well, that kind of backfired on me because I wasn't expecting anyone to say missional. Typically, Brandon, we think of Jesus as... um, You know, good teacher, good person, moral man, prophet, uh, just an all-around good guy. I mean, if you just ask the average person on the street, minus Brandon, um, because he's an above-average guy on the street, um, most people would use those that language to describe. This is kind of what I think of Jesus, all-around good character, good man, good guy. Um, And I don't know if you've ever thought uh, of Jesus as a missionary. But as I read the New Testament, especially John's Gospel, and we're going to look at uh, John chapter 17, if you want to flip in your Bibles there. If you don't have a Bible, there's some at the back, our gift to you, take one. But 39 times in John's Gospel alone, it refers to or says of Jesus that he was a sent one, that the Father had sent him, that Jesus was a man who was on mission. Um, And his mission ultimately Uh, can really be summed up in just three words. To redeem and to reconcile and restore. To redeem humanity and reconcile humanity back to right relationship with God now and forever, but also to restore Imago Dei, to restore God's image within the created. Because of sin, we've marred the image of God. And Jesus' mission, his task, the point, why he came, was to redeem and restore and reconcile Uh, humanity back to a right relationship with God. And I love, Jesus knew exactly what his mission was. He would not be detoured or distracted from his mission. So much so that he gets to the end of his life, and as he's on the cross, John records one of his last few words. He says, it's finished. Meaning, I, I accomplished everything that God gave me to do. It's done. The mission that I was sent for, it's over. I don't know about you, but I would love to get to the end of my life and say, it's finished. What God has asked me to do, what he has entrusted me to do, my mission, I would get to the very end of it and say, it's finished. Rather than what typically happens with a lot of people, I could have done this, or I probably should have done this, or why didn't I do this? And they end their life with statements like, I could have and I should have. Ultimately, they end with, regrets of what they didn't do rather than saying it's finished I did everything and the reality is Jesus didn't do everything he didn't heal every disease he didn't end every single crisis or or poverty or wars but what he was entrusted to do he did meaning he provided the way that you and I humanity could have a relationship with God that was his mission to redeem 
to reconcile and restore us, the created, back to a right relationship with our Creator. I hope that we would all get to the end of our life once we understand what our mission is. It's very different than purpose. I hope that none of you, especially after tonight, will ever wrestle with the question, what's my purpose? Your purpose is to be in relationship with God. That's why you're created. Purpose asks the question, why do I exist? I exist to be in a relationship with God. Now the question that you must wrestle with, what is my mission going to be? What has God called me to do? My task. And then to make your life about that. You don't have to worry about your purpose. That's a done deal. Know God. Love God, love people. That's why we were created. Ultimately to love God. Now it's a question of what is your mission and Jesus clearly knew his mission. The end of his life, literally the last hours before he's about ready to be beaten and just mocked, he prays. And what I love about this in particular prayer is that the scriptures, New Testament talks a lot about Jesus' prayer life, but it doesn't give us any detail of what he actually prayed for. It talks about Jesus going to a solitary place where he would pray, and he did this often. That's like, wow, what did he pray about? We knew he prayed a lot, but John 17, it gives us an insight, a picture of what Jesus actually prayed for. And the beauty of it is, is he prayed for you, and he prayed for me. He prayed for himself, he prayed for his disciples, the guys that were immediately following him and listening to him, and then he offered up a prayer uh, for this community, for you and for I, all people who would follow Jesus. And one of my favorite things about this prayer is that you and I have the opportunity to be an answer to it. And so I'm going to, my aim tonight is not to walk through all 24 of these verses and explain every single verse because there's a lot in here. I just want to read some of the scripture verses, uh, share some things and some thoughts along the way. Then I'm going to invite Kyla to come up and share um, uh, her missional experience. Um, So you might not... I'm not going to give all the details of John chapter 17, but we'll start at verse 1. It says this, After Jesus said this, he looked toward heaven and he prayed, Father, the time has come. Glorify your Son that your Son may glorify you. What I love about just this one part right there in verse 1, the Old Testament makes very clear that God will not give his glory to anyone else, to another. Psalm 42, or Isaiah 42 verse 8 says this, I am the Lord, that is my name. I will not give my glory to another. So this is a clear statement that Jesus is in relationship. He is in one unity, community with God. Because the fact that God will give his glory to Jesus is a statement of Jesus' own deity. Verse 2 and 3. For you granted him authority over all people that he might give eternal life to those you have given him. Now this is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God, Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I love that Jesus is not at all confused as to what eternal life is or how to possess eternal life. And it just makes very clear, so there's no confusion. Eternal life is found, it begins and ends in a relationship with God. Eternity is found in knowing God. Not knowing about God, that was the Greeks' mentality. Knowledge of the head. Jesus is saying, not knowledge of the head, but actually knowing, being in an intimate relationship with God is what brings eternal life. So knowing God and trusting that Jesus, the one who was sent by God, is the one who brings us into right relationship with God. You've heard me share this before, but... The equation is pretty simple. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. I love that Jesus makes clear eternity. You want to know how to have eternity, how to have eternal life. It's in knowing God. It's not in works. It's not in performance. It's not in just doing a bunch of good things. It's in knowing God. So if you want to have, if you want to have assurance that you have eternal life, you walk out these doors, something happens to you, you die. Do you know you have eternal life? The question, the answer to that is, I know I have eternal life because I know God. I'm in relationship with God, not because of being a good guy, a good girl, 
It's because I know God because of Jesus. John 17, verse 4 and 5, I brought you glory on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. By completing the work you gave me to do. You know what's really cool about this is he didn't complete the work at this point in time because he still had to go to the cross. But what Jesus says, by completing the work you gave me to do, this is Jesus' way of saying, I am so committed to your plans, to your purpose, even though it's the cross, even though it is a mockery, I am committed to this, so committed to this, that even though it hasn't happened, I can say I have completed the work that you gave me to do. He goes on. Jesus now is going to switch gears, and he's praying now specifically for his disciples in these next uh, few verses. I have revealed you to those whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours, and you gave them to me, and they have obeyed your word. Now they know that everything you have given me comes from you. For I gave them the words you gave, and they accepted them. They knew with certainty that I came from you, and they believed that you sent me. I pray for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those you have given me, for they are yours. All I have is yours, and you and all you have is mine. And glory has come to me through them. I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world. And I am coming to you, Holy Father. Protect them by the power of your name, the name that you gave me. Now listen to this. So that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them, I protected them and kept them safe by the name that you gave me. None has been lost except the one doomed to destruction, talking about Judas, so that the scripture would be fulfilled. Uh, you're going to find this out here quickly as I read some more verses, that a theme, a reoccurring pattern is Jesus' desire that those who would follow him, be a disciple, be a follower of Jesus Christ, there would be one. There would be unity amongst people who claim to be in relationship with God. John 17, 13 through 15 goes on. I am coming to you now, but I say these things while I am still in the world, so that they may have the full measure of my joy with them, within them. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, for they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you would protect them from the evil one. There are some pretty big heavy hitters in the Old Testament. Moses, Elijah, and Jonah. They all prayed that God would take them out. They were so overwhelmed with their mission that they said, I can't do it. I would rather die. And they prayed. God, take me out. And God said, no. You are on mission, and your mission is not yet finished. That is a prayer that God refused to answer. And what's encouraging to my heart about that is, don't persevere in your mission. I'm thankful that Jesus did his. And whatever your mission is, the task that God has entrusted to you, persevere. Get to the end where you would be able to declare and proclaim, it's finished. I was faithful with everything that God entrusted to my care. Three heavy hitters, Moses, Elijah, Jonah, all said, I just, I'm done. Take me home. Kill me. God said, no, you're not done. Finish the mission that I have given you. John 17, 16 through 19 says, They are not of the world. Even as I am not of it, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them I sanctify myself that they too may be truly sanctified. Notice that Jesus is saying, I'm not going to take them out of the world. I'm actually sending them into the world. There's this mentality that once you become a Christian, you should ignore the world. You should avoid the world. And Jesus is saying, no, do not avoid the world. He says, don't be like them, but engage them. Love them. Why? Because they're your neighbor. 
And we create these small little communities where we just want to ignore the world around us, act as if they don't exist, do our own thing, create our Christian bubbles, and live in the context of our little bubble. And Jesus is saying, are you kidding me? I'm sending you into the world. He could have zapped us, like come to Jesus and, I don't know, you're gone. But the reality is, if you're in relationship with Jesus, then you have a mission. Complete the mission that God has given you. Uh, Then Jesus prays for us, future followers of Jesus. Verse 20 through 23, it says this, My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one. Father, just as you and uh, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. There's something in here that Jesus is praying. Father, the unity, the oneness that we have, let them have it as well. Let them be so one that when people would see them, they would see a picture of what a triune God looks like. I in them, you in me, may they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Jesus is praying here for us that we would be one, that we would be unified. Again, if, I don't know why I'm picking all the wedding passages here, but uh, if you've been to maybe a, a wedding, you've heard uh, the pastor uh, mention this verse. Jesus is getting questioned on marriage, and he says, Haven't you read, he replied, that at the beginning, the Creator made them male and female and said, For this reason, a man will leave his father and his mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but they are one. Same Greek word that Jesus is using and praying about here, that we would be one, we would be unified, is the same word that Jesus is using to talk about the marriage relationship. So as a husband and a wife are called to be one together, certainly physically there, but emotionally and spiritually and relationally, the church, this community, the people of God are supposed to be one and unified. And the beauty of this is when we are, people see a picture of God. When we are one, they will say, They will believe in the one that God sent being Jesus. One of the reasons I was uh, excited, everyone say hello to my lovely bride, Miss Kyla. That was a half-hearted hello. All right. Um, You know, we're talking about um, Genesis as a missional community. Genesis seeing ourselves as a sent one, or a missionary in the culture that we live in. And why I asked Kyla to be with us tonight to share uh, is because she literally, I know we think of, well, we're not really a missionary because we're not going anywhere. And I hope we can actually get away from that idea that we have to go somewhere to be a missionary. Uh, Kyla, uh, her quick story is that um, in college, um, she grew up in a background um, that was um, kind of indifferent to spiritual things. And um, she didn't come to know, uh, be in relationship with God until her college years, uh, so 2021. Uh, and shortly after her decision to say, you know what, I'm going to follow Jesus Christ, she was on the mission field within about two, three years of making that decision. And she was uh, living in Albania, which if you don't know where Albania is, neither did I. Uh, I was like, you're going where? Can we talk? Do they have like, anyways, um, really far away from where I was living in Ohio at the time. Um, But why I wanted Kyla to share is because if the prayer of Jesus for this missional community, Jesus was a missionary, he was a sent one, we are to see ourselves as sent ones, and the prayer was that we would be one, that we would be unified. Uh, I wanted Kyla just to share her story, her experience of what it was actually like uh, to be on a team of people, to be part of a missional community. And... It doesn't matter whether it's a team of five people, whether it's a team of 50 people or 500 or 5,000 people. 
one of the things that if that team is not one, if it's not unified, it's going to be very difficult for that community to live out uh, its mission. And so, Kyla, how are you? Good. Good. Um, I, wanted, I really want you to listen to Kyla's story tonight. I'm not just telling you that because she's my wife. But as I was uh, talking and processing with some of the things that Kyla is going to share and what she's been learning, uh, this is so relevant to who we are and where we are. And I would venture to say a lot of the things that she learned while on the mission field about community and relationships uh, is going to hit home with you, because it certainly has hit home with me, of the things that God taught her, showed her, revealed to her about herself, and then about uh, community as well. Uh, so please uh, listen, because I know uh, a lot of our story uh, will be in some of the things that uh, Kyla has learned. So we went to Albania, uh, just paint a picture, I guess, of the team dynamics of, did you know people, did you not know people uh, that you were going to Albania with, and uh, kind of the honeymoon phase, did that exist? And then um, did you notice that, you know, huh, things are going to be a little bit more challenging than, uh, than I maybe first thought? Well, there were uh, five of us on our team, uh, two guys and three women. So John and Andy were the guys, Maureen and Annette and myself were the women. And I had known Maureen um, as acquaintances. We'd gone to school, the Ohio State University, together. Go Bucks! And uh, we have to work that into every time, I think. But anyway, we um, we were sent to a city in northern Albania, which is the city is called Skoder, and it's just south of Montenegro. And I don't know if you even know where Albania is. It's just north of Greece, basically. So that helps you at all. But um, basically, this city, in this city, we knew of only about five other Americans. So the five of us were going there, and we were pretty much going to be alone. These five other Americans lived on different sides of the town. We weren't going to see them and didn't end up seeing them very much. Um, none of us spoke Albanian. None of us had ever been to the city. Um, in fact, we were some of the first Christians. Albania was a communist country until 1992, and so we were some of the first. And during that time, it was declared an officially atheist country. They, were, they weren't allowed to practice religion of any sort. So... Um, we were some of the first Christians even to go to the city. Um, and we were really kind of like pioneers. Everything was new to us. Everything was foreign. And we had really only known each other. I mean, I was acquaintances with Maureen, but we had only known each other, our team, for about a week before we were sent off to this town. Um, so we kind of had no idea what we were doing or what to expect. We did know our mission, and that was to uh, work with college students on the campus there really sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ with them and hopefully to build a movement of college students who would then um, be, be committed to following Christ and raising up other disciples and sh sharing with their family, with their friends, reaching the city, reaching the nation of Albania with the gospel. So that was our mission, and uh, that kind of united us. Um, we were pretty scared, I guess you could say, in the beginning, and we were united. I mean, you asked, was there a honeymoon phase? In the beginning, we were pretty unified, and a lot of that was because we had, um, we were all going through the same thing. We were all scared, didn't know what we were doing, couldn't speak the language. You know, it was hard just buying food because we couldn't talk, communicate to the people around us. So um, in that sense, it united us. I mean, we were even dealing with, it was culture shock for all of us. Albania is the poorest country in Eastern Europe, and um, so how, the way that played out is, you know, our living conditions were different. We probably had running water and electricity maybe 60%, 70% of the time. I mean, at least we had it, but it was pretty different than what we're used to here. There were no phones. didn't have Internet connection. So um, that's why you never called me or wrote, huh? That's a whole other story. Michael apparently <laughs> doesn't know how to write letters. So uh, none ever reached the shores of Albania anyway. Um, we were united, really, in the beginning by our mission and by just our shared experience. Um, I remember in the first few days of our time there, we did kind of a prayer walk around the city. We just walked around the city together as a team, praying for our ministry and just um, praying for the city. And we found a statue in the middle of town. Um, it's called the Pace Heronit, which means the five heroes. And um, it, it's these five guys. Oh, there it is. It's these five guys standing together in a circle, kind of united, ready to, you know, take on the enemy. I think these guys helped to fight in Albania to liberate Albania from Italy. But so we, as we walked around that, we each picked out a guy to be, to be us, and um, kind of represent our team, that we were unified, we were standing firm in the, 
city of Skoder representing Jesus and united for the gospel. But And so that's kind of how we felt in the beginning. That was kind of our honeymoon phase, I guess. And, uh, you know, just as, as it is with a lot of relationships, whether it's a new roommate situation or new friends or new team situation, um, the more time we spent together, which was really all the time because we did everything together. We were the only people who spoke English that we knew. So we were our only option for friends and we did everything together. Um, we were literally doing life together. But we started to realize that it wasn't just the culture and our surroundings um, that were different from us, but we were really different from one another. We all had different personalities. We had different ways of communicating, um, different needs, different expectations, different um, desires for our relationships and friendships. And then plus, there were, we were going through culture shock. We were all having homesickness. And there was even an aspect of kind of spiritual warfare that quickly took us out of the honeymoon phase and led to a lot of team conflict. As you guys um, uh, hear some more of the story, uh, we're really, I'm relating this uh, to the church. Uh, I really, this is not just a team dynamic of five people. Uh, it's a team dynamic within uh, a body here. Um, uh, so Kyla, one of the things you started to mention there is just uh, things started to potentially creep into the community as you got to know each other more and spend more time with each other. Uh, so what were some of those things that I guess maybe distracted, detoured, derailed you guys from experiencing unity or oneness as a community of five that were trying to be on mission uh, together? Wow. Um, well, there were several things that kind of caused all that team conflict, and unfortunately, a lot of it was my own sin, which we'll get to in a second. But, you know, it was encouraging. Even as we first started in our ministry, God was really moving in Schroeder, and we had incredible opportunities. It seemed like every day we had countless opportunities to share the gospel with people. People were, because they had been um, under communism and been forced to be atheist, um, they were really spiritually open. People were asking a lot of questions about spiritual things. We got to share the gospel with people all the time. And um, in the first month, I think we were there, we probably saw 18 to 20 people um, make a decision to receive Christ as their Lord and Savior. And I remember one day, in one day, I saw seven girls pray to receive Christ. It was just amazing watching all that God was doing. Um, but it was really evident pretty quickly that God didn't just bring me to Albania so he could work through me. Um, probably the main reason God brought me there was to work in me. And he um, used our team relationships and our team, the conflicts in those relationships, to really reveal some serious issues of sin in my own life. Um, there were three big ones of just pride and independence and self-centeredness were kind of the ones that were really um, affecting our team the most, I guess. And really, I think it's safe to say that for all five of us, probably the main reason God brought us to Albania was not so he could work through us, but rather so that he could work in us and to uh, kind of point out and remove or uh, start to remove some of the sin in our lives. Um, you know, we talked a few weeks ago here at Genesis about the idea that sin doesn't occur in a vacuum, that it affects the people around you, and that was really intensified on this team because we spent all of our time together. We worked together. We ate together. We, The three women, at least, we lived together. We walked everywhere together. And so... Um, you know, our sin was rubbing off on the other, on our other teammates all the time. And uh, I guess the three, so I'd mentioned three issues that God really brought um, to the forefront for me. Um, and the first one was pride. I wasn't the leader of the team. Um, John was our team leader, and Maureen um, was kind of the assistant team leader. And if you know me at all, you might have noticed that I have a little bit of a kind of a dominant, bossy side to my personality that doesn't always take light easily to uh, following others. Sorry, honey, but uh, it's true. So there was part of me that was really resenting um, their leadership. And, uh, you know, I have a tendency to kind of think that my way is the best way. And since it I usually wasn't is, leader, let's be honest. Um, yes. <laughs> that is what I think most of the time. But uh, that doesn't always work well when you're not the leader of the group. And um, you're following other people's ideas. So that my pride really resisted the fact that God had placed them in leadership over me. Um, and there were some, one example of this is that there were some safety issues in Skoder in the town we lived in. It was not safe for women to go anywhere alone. Um, just the culture that we were in, if we, I mean, literally I'd walk alone on the, or with even another woman on the street and you constantly had 
men making comments at you, trying to grab you. It was just not very safe, and especially as Americans, and I was really blonde uh, at the time, not fake blonde at the time, but, and, you know, so I stood out like a sore thumb was the idea, but. Um, True confessions here tonight <laughs> at Genesis. But, uh, so because of that, our team leader, John, had realized pretty early on that it was not safe for the women to, to go really anywhere without one of the guys escorting them. So he made this rule on our team um, that we couldn't leave our house unless one of the guys who, they lived 10 minutes away from us. And uh, so we had to, if we wanted to go somewhere, I mean, even to the store around the corner, we had to call on our shortwave radio because there were no phones. We had to call one of the guys and ask them to come down. They'd ride their bike down and then walk us a block to the store. It was really frustrating and um, you know, my pride did not like it at all that John was making these. I mean, I understand completely why he was doing it, and it really was what was best for our safety. But my pride didn't like that, being told what to do, where I could go, and when I could go. And if the guys hadn't charged the battery on their radio, then we were stuck, and we couldn't go anywhere. So um, that was just an example of my pride and how it uh, caused some problems on our team. The next thing was uh, that God really revealed to me was my independence. You know, my parents raised me to be pretty responsible, pretty independent, and that's not that that's always a bad thing, but um, it was what it was bad in my life was that it led to this false notion that I didn't need anyone else, that I could handle things all by myself, and the way that it played out on our team really was, you know, when I'd have a relational conflict, Maureen and I, um, out of the, Maureen and I were the most different out of the three women on the team, myself, Annette, and Maureen, and we shared a room and we had a lot of conflict. And when we would have that conflict, um, kind of my independence would come out and just thinking, you know what, I don't need you. I don't need to go through the hard work of working through this issue so we can become friends because I don't need your friendship. I can do this, I'll just be fine, I'll just coexist with you for the whole year, and I'll be fine because I don't need you. And that was really how um, my independence was playing out. And you know, the hard reality was that God was teaching me that I really do need other people, whether I believe it or not, that that's how he's designed all of us. Michael mentioned even, you know, from his message last week that we were create, created by community and in, in that God is a relational God and in and of himself, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are per, in perfect relationship. And he created us um, to be in community um, in, in the church. And so independence from God, thinking that we don't need him or uh, independence from others, thinking that we don't need them as sin, and that was really something in my life that was causing uh, conflict in our team. And the other thing was uh, self-centeredness. I, I didn't want to be needed by my teammates. I didn't want to help meet their needs. Um, my friend, she's my friend now, uh, Maureen, who was on the team, you know, had a real strong need or just desire for verbal affirmation to know, you know, if you liked her, she wanted you to tell her, or inclusion, if you um, were going somewhere and you wanted her to come, she really wanted you to ask her and make her feel like you wanted her to be there. And those weren't things that came naturally to me. And uh, in my self-centeredness, I just didn't even care. I wasn't concerned with her needs, and I didn't want to be a part of meeting those needs. Um, as I said, I just wanted to coexist for the year because I didn't, I didn't need her. And so my self-centeredness, pride, and uh, independence were a lot of a lot of, unfortunately, what caused conflicts on our whole team. I don't know if you've noticed this maybe in the church context as well. Pride, self-centeredness, and just a spirit of independence of, as Kyle was saying, I don't need anyone. I can just, just coexist, as Kyle is saying, is uh, it's killer uh, to unity, to oneness. So I'm assuming that you weren't the only one who had issues uh, on the team because uh, we all have issues. Um, but how did it start to play itself out, so to speak, and how did it start to impact, um, if your team is dysfunctional, this community is becoming more and more dysfunctional, how did it ultimately impact those around you, especially uh, the Albanians and stuff that you were called there to be on mission to reach them with the gospel, and how did dysfunctional community start to impact uh, your uh, mission uh, that you guys were not one? What message was it giving them? Well, one verse that comes to my mind is uh, John 13, verse 34 and 35, uh, where Jesus says, A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. And 
for me on the team, it would have been way easier if all I had to do while I was in Albania was to go on campus and meet with Albanian women and share the gospel with them. I loved doing that. I loved having conversations with women um, about spiritual things and getting to share with them about how much God loved them. That would have been easy. But, you know, in this verse, uh, Jesus talks about, um, well, he gives the command that we, the, his followers, the church, that we are to love one another, that we must he says, even must love one another. That's how people will know we're his disciples. We can't just go and talk about the gospel. We have to live it. And uh, we live it by loving one another, especially other Christians. Um, while we were in Albania, God wanted to use our team to witness to the Albanians around us um, by our love for one another, by how we treated one another. Our, his intention for us was to go and model a healthy uh, authentic, loving, forgiving community, um, and that that would help people to see his love. And uh, But we weren't doing a very good job at it, and it had to be. I don't know how evident it was to the Albanians, but it had to be evident. I mean, I can think of times where we'd go to a prayer meeting or a Bible study or something, and one member of our team would just be completely withdrawn and not talking to anyone because of you know some interaction that had happened on our team. They were hurt by someone, and you know, it was evident to everybody that something was wrong. So I'm sure that that affected our witness and how um, how they saw us as followers of Christ. Yeah, so I imagine, obviously, it was impacting uh, Albanians and uh, the students you're trying to reach, but how was it impacting you personally? Like, So when you have issues within your community, uh, how was it impacting you? Uh, just your own walk with God, your own passion and zeal and uh, joy for the mission. And uh, obviously, when... There's so many issues, so many problems. The mission shifts from focusing on the problems to forgetting about the mission that you were there. So how did all of that, all this junk going on, impact you personally? Well, all the conflict on our team was definitely distracting, and it consumed a lot of my thought life. And um, because so much of it was being caused by my own sin, it did interfere with my relationship with the Lord. You know, God was calling me to love my teammates, and I was resisting him. I didn't want to. It was, it was hard. It meant stepping out of my comfort zone. It meant putting their needs above my own. It meant um, doing things that didn't come naturally to me. And so I was resisting. And um, because we were having so much conflict with one another on a personal level, it was kind of outside of our ministry. It wasn't about ministry things that we were, you know, having conflict. Um, sometimes we would honestly retreat into ministry. And, you know, in in a day when I would go onto campus, I would go, you know, I'd have to be walked by the guys to campus, which was always frustrating for me. And then I'd get to campus, but my time on campus meeting with women in their dorms was kind of my only time alone, away from my other teammates. And so I would retreat and I'm like, let's get to campus because I just want to get away from you guys. You're making me crazy. So, um, you know, while we did, it would, um, I did retreat into ministry, I wonder how different our ministry would have been had we taken the time and the energy to resolve our personal conflicts, to get our team in a healthy place where we were really loving one another, where we were united. I wonder how much different um, our ministry would have been if we had, had done it as a united front. Remember the prayer was uh, that we would be one. As the Father and the Son were one, they were united in a community and relationship, that that would be a reality for us. For anyone who claimed to follow and love God, love Jesus, that we would truly be one. And Kyla's, uh, she'll share the story with you, but um, the team was getting pretty jacked up, so much so that uh, Crusade actually pulled them off campus and said, uh, you guys are messed up. So um, uh, sometimes it would be great if someone would come and pull the church out and be like, we're shutting you down for a couple weeks, a couple months until you get your, your stuff straight. But uh, what was that experience obviously like being pulled off campus, so to speak, and um, what happened afterwards? Was there a difference? Did actually people get on board with um, getting beyond just the issues, working through them, but getting back to being on mission together? Yeah, uh, yeah there was definitely a turning point, and that was it, what Michael's referring to. Um, you know, in, in spite of all our issues, God was doing amazing things in our ministry and through the lives of these Albanian students. But I guess I, that year, as I think back, I was in Albania for two years, and what what I've been sharing right now is the first year that I was there. And that personally was probably the hardest, one of the hardest years of my life. Um, 
I wasn't particularly interested. I, I mean, God was revealing these areas of sin to me, but I wasn't really that interested in uh, working through them, I guess. And, um, but God was not going to leave me as I was. He wasn't going to continue to tolerate my sin, and he just loves us too much to leave us how we are. Um, the verse that comes to my mind is Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, that says, Being confident of this, uh, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. That God is committed to working in our lives and to making us look like Christ, and he's going to continue doing that until we're completed. And so even though I didn't want to work on this sin that he was revealing to me, um, he had other plans, and we were going to work on it. And uh, uh, since I wasn't really taking the, uh, my issues of sin seriously, God used my teammates really to confront me with them. Um, one day, we had a a team prayer time. We got together once a week um, to pray together. And uh, in the middle of the prayer meeting, John, our team leader, just got so frustrated. He was just completely fed up with how our team was interacting with one another, how we were just had so many conflicts. And he and Maureen basically just confronted the other three of us on our sin, on our pride especially, and how it was affecting the team. And that was the week um, that we basically were pulled off campus. Maureen and John actually left Skoder, our city, and went to the capital city to kind of get help. Like, what do we do? These people are messed up. And they left us there with the instructions that we were to just sit and think about how our sin has affected our team. So um, I affectionately refer to that as Hell Week. That was Hell Week. It wasn't fun, um, but it was helpful. The first day, basically, I spent um, yelling at God about John and Maureen and how they're so rude and who do they think they are, telling us that we're the problem. And and then the, the rest of the week, God showed me all my sin. So that was why it was so fun. Um, you know, I, I spent that whole week reading through the book of Isaiah, which um, if you have pride, isn't a very encouraging book to read. It's basically, you're so prideful, was what I felt like God was saying the whole time. Um, you know, as I read through it, God just kept showing me over and over the, how deep that root, root of uh, pride was and how... He was revealing to me how it was really affecting the rest of our team. Um, it wasn't fun at all, but, you know, if we are going to really walk with God, we have to be broken. We have to see ourselves for how we truly are. That The truth is that apart from Christ, there's no good thing in us. Um, I came across this quote, and I don't even know the author um, of this quote. I wish I could give him credit, but I really liked it. It says that we can choose to be broken or remain unbroken. This choice determines the extent of our lives' impact for God on earth. Our influence over others is in direct proportion to our brokenness before God. We serve God most once broken. The purpose being to draw men and women to Jesus Christ, that they may have a saving knowledge of him, and that God's kingdom may increase on earth. Really, we have to, it's only in our brokenness that God's really going to be able to work through us, and that, we're gonna, um, that our life can be used to have influence uh, for the gospel. So God really used Hell Week um, to convict me and to reveal the sin in my life and how it was affecting our team. And so through that week, you know, I came to a point of where I was ready to repent of that sin. And when John and Maureen came back, um, this was the, what the other two members of the team were going through too. Um, but we had, so we had a time when they came back where we really just got together and I just confessed my sin to them and asked for forgiveness. And um, so did everybody else. And we cried and hugged and it was Good. It wasn't all great um, after that, but that was a big turning point. Um, you know, we all saw our sin, decided to uh, repent and confess it to one another, and then we started working on things. We started being committed to um, to work on our current issues and to one thing that we started doing from that point forward was really trying to keep short accounts with one another, not letting conflict build up and build up and build up, but to keep short accounts and address the issues as they came up. And we began the really hard work of learning about one another. I mean, we took personality tests. We did team building activities, all to try and um, learn about one another and to learn how we could even love one another. Because, you know, each you can do something to try and love someone. But if that's not how they feel love, that's not how they receive love, it doesn't even mean anything. If you're just trying to love someone the way you like being loved, whether it's through, you know, telling them how great they are or whatever, if that doesn't mean anything to them, you're not really loving them. So we had to spend time learning uh, one another, and God began to change our hearts. Um, 
you had asked what was one of the lessons that I learned, and I think I can really sum up the biggest lesson um, that I learned was just the idea that God commands us to love other people and that um, loving others is not optional. It is a big deal to God, especially other Christians. Um, that The verse we'd read in John talks about how it's our love for one another, that that's the means uh, that God wants to use to identify us as his disciples to a watching world. And um, God really used my relationship with Maureen, one of the other women on the team, to teach me this. Um, our relationship was really hard. We were so different. We thought differently. We communicated differently. We had um, different interests and different ex expectations and desires of things that we wanted in a friendship. I felt like I was constantly failing at being her friend, and I was constantly hurting her. We were always miscommunicating. It was, it was just really difficult. Um, so I had really no desire to work on our friendship. I just wanted to put forth the minimal effort necessary just to get by through the year. Um, but Maureen and God really wouldn't let me off the hook. Um, coexisting was not an option. God placed our team together and called us to love one another, and Maureen was relentless. She just kept loving me and trying to encourage me and being nice to me and writing me nice notes and giving me gifts. And um, she was just constantly being kind to me. And sometimes it was just downright irritating because all it did was reveal to me of how hard-hearted I had become towards her. Um, but she had committed in her mind and before God that she was going to love me. And despite my pleas, honestly, I mean, I prayed a lot that God would just send her home or send me home, you know. That you were talking about Jonah praying that God would send him home, but I was like, send her out of here, get her out of here, because it was just too hard. I didn't want to go through it, and um, but she'd committed to loving me, and you know, it was a decision she had made. It certainly couldn't have been something she felt, because I was being a jerk to her most of the time. It couldn't have been like, oh, I just feel so loving towards Kyla, but she had decided she was going to love me, and um, you know, so really God used that to teach me a ton about what it looks like to love people. She just relentlessly loved me. And eventually over time, as I saw my sin, confessed it, and was ready to let God uh, love her through me, God really did change my heart. And our relationship changed completely. You know, she was a bridesmaid in our wedding. And I would never have thought that would be the case when I, we first were there. And we're still great friends. I mean, she'll probably listen to this podcast and be like, we are? You never call me. But um, despite that, I would still consider her one of my best friends, and it's really because she made the commitment to love me. Kyla's been um, just finished with this. As, uh, she was, I think it was about 12 years ago. Um, I won't share the whole story, but her team was actually evacuated out of the country. Albania just went into chaos and uh, just completely fell apart where all Americans were evacuated by the Marines. Uh, pretty cool story, pretty cool pictures. But... Um, She's been off the mission field of Albania's mission field, so to speak, for, uh, I think, 12 years, right? 13 mm -hmm. years? Um, wow, we're getting old. Wow. Um, I digress. Sorry. Um, but as you've reflected, uh, I mean, she had a lot of incredible joys. A lot of people came to faith in Christ. Uh, people were raised up for leadership. And especially once they got out of Albania, it was amazing to see how many people actually stepped up and started serving and leading the mission, um, I mean, it's pretty cool. Um, but as you've thought about just this, you're part of a missional team. Our desire is to be a missional church, a missional community. Uh, what are some of the things that just over the last, you know, even over the last week, stuff you've been thinking about, how your experience actually applies to our experience here as missionaries in our context, in our culture, community? Well, I feel like so much of what I learned in my time there is transferable to our, even our community um, within Genesis. That, you know, really, if we are followers of Christ, we are already missionaries. We always think of missionaries as people who are sent to go over to Africa, but um, we're called to be missionaries. God, as Michael was saying before, God doesn't just zap us out of the world as soon as we uh, come to faith in Christ. He leaves us here, and it's for the purpose of reaching out to the world around us um, and showing the world around us his love. Um, and the, the world will see a visible expression of God's love in the way we love one another also, in the way we love other people, um, not just with what we say and how we share, um, what words we use to share. But um, So essentially, at Genesis, we are a missions team, 
and our mission field is the world around us. Wherever God has placed you, the people that are around you. Um, it, it's, so it's very similar to what I experienced in Albania. It doesn't probably feel like that. We're a bigger community. It's not five people, and um, it's not a full-time job for everybody to go and you know share uh, your faith. But we are all missionaries, and we're all on a mission field. But unless we get serious about obeying Jesus' command to love one another, we won't be able to accomplish his mission in the way that he's intended. Um, it's by the way we love each other that the world's going to know that we're his followers. And loving each other, being unified, um, not just coexisting or just tolerating one another, uh, it's hard work, but it's what God demands. It's what he commands of us. It says, the verse that we had read said, you must love one another. You know, it is something, it's not optional, and it's hard work, but it's worth it. Being a part of God's mission is worth it. The hard work that we went through to get our team, um, the con all the conflict we had to work through in Albania to get our team back in order was worth it. Not only because I gained a great friendship, but because I, God used us in so many incredible ways. He allowed us to be involved in his work in incredible ways, and he can do the same thing with this community if we are committed um, to obeying him and to loving one another. Would you guys uh, thank Kyla for sharing with us tonight? We're going to um, finish uh, the rest of um, uh, kind of part two of missional uh, community uh, next week. But um, I really was excited for you to hear Kyla's story because it does really relate to our story. Uh, will we be one? Will we be a community that is ultimately unified? It does not matter if we are 550, 500, or beyond. Uh, next week, we're asked that question, what will be the thing that will unify us? And ultimately, it will be the mission, the mission that we are on uh, together. Uh, John 17, we can be an answer to that prayer. We can be an answer to that prayer. And uh, the thought I want to leave you with that I'm going to pick up again next week is um, Kyla's talked a lot about just uh, her own pride, uh, self-centeredness, independence, a lot of us bring those same attitudes and characteristics to our church community. And ultimately, it breaks the, the church community. It is not a witness uh, to who God ultimately is. And one of the things I really want you to be thinking about this week is this one question. It's been a question that's been very um, informative to me. Um, and it's this. Is what I'm about to do, so make it personal for you, is what I'm about to do or what I'm about to say how is it going to impact or affect the community that I'm part of? Most of us live our lives in such a way where we don't think what we do, what we say, how we live, how we act, behave, attitudes, actions, reactions, actually impact anyone but us. But this week, if this community is going to be one and we are going to be missionaries, sent ones to the culture community around us, wherever you are, that's your mission field your jobs, your businesses, your schools, your families, your communities, is what I'm about to do, is what I'm about to say, how is it going to impact the community that I am part of? Will it actually bring oneness? Will it bring unity? Or are my words, my attitudes, my behaviors, is it going to actually fracture the community even more? So this week as you live, and I know we don't live in the context, as Kyle explained, living together and same apartments. Some of you do. I know most of us, this is a very regional area. But just because geography is different, just because numbers are different, we're still seeking to be an answer to God's prayer, to Jesus' prayer, to be one, to be unified on mission together that the world would know. So please, what you're about to do, what you're about to say, how will it impact the community that I'm part of? And if you know that it will not build unity, promote oneness, don't do it. Don't say it. Don't even think it. Don't entertain it. Don't respond that way. Don't have that behavior. Is what you're about to do, how will it impact the community you're part of? Let me uh, pray for us. Uh, missional part two will be next week where we actually break down and get into uh, what is the mission. God is a missional God. What is his mission? How can we partner with him? Father, thank you uh, uh, for the opportunity to gather as a community. And God, we want to be an answer to Jesus' prayer.
that we would be one, we would be unified. God, please make us missional. Father, thank you for Kyla and her story, for the years that uh, she spent in Albania as a missionary living in the context of a missional community with a very clear mission to live and proclaim the gospel. Father, might we, as a Genesis community, might we see ourselves as sent ones. Father, I pray that this week at work, in school, in the communities we live in, in the relationships we have, we would see ourselves as missionaries. as sent ones, and we would be faithful with the task, the mission you have given us, to love you and to love our neighbor. And through that, people would come to know you. Father, if there's been anyone here tonight, and I imagine there's been a lot who are convicted that their own attitudes of being self-centered or prideful or just a spirit of independence, God, I pray that there would be great repentance tonight in our community that our community would promote, model, unity. Jesus, as you and the Father were one, as you and the Father are one, let that be true of us in this place tonight. We pray that in Jesus' name, amen. Genesis is a ministry of Hope Christian Church. We invite you to find out more by visiting our website at genesisthejourney.com.